Welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in Natural Methods Healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California, for an hour of health topic digestion and discussion. Please stay with us. And welcome back to Health Matters. Thank you for uh, joining us again this day, this lovely day here we are. And today we're going to be joined by uh, an Indian physician who's written a book called Turbo Metabolism, Eight Weeks to a New You, Preventing and Reversing Diabetes, Obesity, Heart Disease, and Other Metabolic Diseases by Treating the Causes. I, I said Indian teacher, Indian, because I don't know how to pronounce his name. They, they told me, and then I lost that track of that. So he'll be with us in just a couple of minutes, presumably. But anyway, this is a young man's book, I think. I would call it that. Speaking, I, I can say that as a, as a somewhat older man. It's a very in, uh, in, inspiring, quick, uh, fast, I wouldn't say fast-paced, but it's very direct to uh, discussing the issue of um, many of the issues that were, there are a lot of programs on the television, particularly the um, PBS channels, where somebody, uh, a good example is that one of the people is the, the fellow who recommends this book, the forward by jo uh, Joel Furman, and they have their perspectives, and a lot of nutritional stuff is out there. And, and this uh, book is kind of of that same ilk. And yet what it is, is a, what, what makes it, I think, beautiful and so much, for me, worth talking about, it's a very efficient way of talking about a lot of very uh, uh, complex topics and, and subjects around which there's a good deal of, a good deal of positive science about the, the issues of uh, nutrition, the issues of right and wrong behavior, the issue of the, 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 the place of spirit in life. Um, it, it, he talks about all these things in a very, for me, efficient manner. And so I'm hoping that our, our, our time with you today will also be as efficient and we'll be able to listen to what Dr. has to say. Uh, before we get to that, I may read some from the book. But before I even do that, I want to say right now at the Somo Village Event Center in Roanoke Park, there's the Sonoma County Zero Waste Symposium is going on. And this was given to me by our local uh, Marky, um, uh, Marty Bennett, who's the co-chair of the North Bay Jobs and Zero Waste Coalition, and it's a, I was sorry that I didn't get a chance to be there. There's a, there's a, there's a, the whole world of zero waste is one of those just huge ecological topics and uh, very much worth paying attention to. So we're sorry we're not there, but oh well. But pay attention to that topic. That's one of the things that's around and it's, it's gonna be uh, becoming more and more important. So I'm going to read from the, some of the publicity material that goes with this book, Turbo Metabolism. As the modern Western li lifestyle has uh, spreads around the globe, so does the metabolic syndrome, a cluster of symptoms that increases the risk of developing heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and other conditions. Turbo Metabolism, Eight Ways to, uh, to a New You, and is, um, demonstrates these diseases are basically man-made. 
uh, ailments caused by unhealthy diet and way of life. Our typical diet might be the modern-day equivalent of a Trojan horse, writes the doctor, as it is an enemy that wants, as if an enemy wants to conquer us, and so they have encouraged us our addictions to a diet of processed food loaded with sugar, fat, salt, stripped of protective natural disease-fighting superfoods, like the good stuffs that, that, that are found in plants, it prov and provides information intelligence, not just calories. In this way, they are incapacitating a large portion of our population with chronic uh, disability and disease. The good news is the metabolic syndrome can be tamed by um, a sensible program of exercise, natural food, stress management, and quality sleep. Um, the doctor distills a mass of medical research into simple, effective programs for better health. The book follows um, uh, the, the turbo metabolism program of diabetes and metabolic dis disease reversed, the same one I prescribed to my patients. It, each chapter roughly represents about one week of an eight-week course, but it's not necessary to follow the program in the chapter order. Under the uh, counsel of their personal physicians, reader, readers may adapt the advice in this book to create their own health-promoting disease-reversing uh, program at, as it fits their particular needs. So that's that. That's the first page of that. And um, so maybe what I'll do is I'll go to the uh, beginning of the text itself. Uh, and in, in the introduction, it's, uh, kind of, it's kind of a scary introduction, as many of these things tend to be when we think of the horror. Of course, it's interesting, for probably for listeners who aren't physicians and who aren't people who have to look day in and day out at the consequences of things other than in their own waistlines or in their own children and loved ones, but they can imagine somehow things are better. Well, if, if one listens to this teaching, they're not so good. Lights flashing, sirens blaring, the ambulance races toward the hospital. Inside the ambulance, Mary, a middle-aged woman, lies in a gurney struggling, her chest tightness, sweating, and, dis and dizziness. Within an hour of her arrival at the hospital, Mary undergoes an angioplasty procedure. A wire is inserted into her occluded coronary artery, and then the artery is opened by inflating a small balloon inside. Finally, a stent, which resembles a small string excuse me, strong, small spring inside a, ball, a ballpoint pen is inserted into the proximal left anterior descending artery, one of the heart's main arteries. It's called the Widowmaker. To prop open uh, permanently, blood flow is uh, restored to the heart, and uh, several days later, she walks out of the hospital, and the marvels of modern medicine has saved her life. Through many uh, catastrophic emergencies can, can now be treated with modern medical techniques. Millions of people every year are still diagnosed with chronic diseases such as diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, ca cancer, and stroke. These diseases seem to be uh, striking people younger and younger. And that's one of the questions I'll ask this doctor about where he gets that fact. What is the cause of this epidemic? Do we simply need to have more ambulances and high-tech life-saving procedures? Or is there a deeper reason for this widespread problem? Why is it that the United States spends more money than any other nation in healthcare, yet it is, has the uh, fattest, sickest population of any country in the world? That's another interesting statistic. 
or are we ignoring the root causes of chronic disease, simply trying to fix the problems by throwing money at it? There's an interesting challenge. As I've pondered these questions, I have realized that many of my own relatives are in the same predicaments as Mary, even though most of them appear lean with skinny faces, arms, and legs. They have visible body f belly fat, prominent bulges at the midsection, lift in, uh, uh, fitting the proverbial definition of a thin outside, fat inside, as it's commonly known. At the same time, in my practice, I observed that with just a little weight loss, as much as 7% of one's starting weight, or 10 or 20 pounds, many people, uh, the need for blood pressure medications, diabetes medications can be drastically reduced. Even their heart-related symptoms can improve. As this, encouraged, as, excuse me, as this occurs, they have a lot more fun and freedom. They can say yes to life's wonderful adventures more often and participate and engage in activities with their children and grandchildren. I have often thought, instead of treating dangerous conditions resulting from chronic diseases, what if we implemented proven lifestyle changes before the disease reached the critical stage? When I first started to uh, scour the research, I found mentors in Dr. Joel Furman and Dr. Neil Bernard, who were already working with thousands of people and helping them reverse chronic diseases and regain their vitality. Other really smart colleagues like uh, Dr. Mile, uh, Michael Rosen and Dr. Maiden Golobik are getting this, uh, amazing results while pushing for a change at the policy level. And here's our guest. Welcome to Health Matters. Thank you for joining us. Hi. And is this Ned? It is indeed. Hi there. This is Pankaj Vij. How are you? Ah, splendid. And how should we address you, sir? You can call me Pankaj. That's my first name, if you can pronounce it. Or Pankaj. I say it again? Pankaj is perfect. Pankaj. Pankaj. Okay, Pankaj. Well, Pankaj, that's great. I, I was just uh, telling our listeners, uh, reading from your book, actually, and uh, we've just gotten to uh, page three, but I did uh, do an, did some, a little bit of a survey, but maybe since you're with us, why don't you um, start by telling us a little bit about your background and how did it... How did you find your way into medicine? Tell us that story, if you would. I found my way into medicine as a teenager. Uh, initially, I just thought it would it looked like a cool job because you get to wear a white coat and uh, right. you know wherever you go in town. I grew up in a little town, and my uncle was a physician, and I would uh, see how how well loved and respected he was, and mm. I thought, hey, this is this looks like it could be fun. Oh, really? <laughs> what town are we talking about? <laughs> this would be in the. Uh, Early 80s, right? When I was growing up, late 70s, early 80s. In what town? Oh, uh, this was in a small town in northern India, which ah. you would not have heard of. Oh, of course. Okay. I was, I was, that's what I was trying to get to, that it was in, in, in India. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So your uncle was a traditional uh, Ayurvedic physician or a Western-trained physician? Or? He was a Western-trained physician, uh -huh, and uh -huh. uh, he, he was, uh, you know, a bit of a GP. He was doing a, you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and mm -hmm. he was the only doctor in town, and mm -hmm. you know, everybody loved him. Sure. Important guy, and and so then, take us take us. Okay, there you are, a teenager. You watch your uncle. So, move us through. You know, tell talk about medical school and talk about you know coming to the, when you came to the states. Give us a little bit more, a little bit more meat on that bone, if you would. 
Yeah, so I went to medical school in uh, 1987, and I uh, graduated in the early 90s. We go to medical school for five and a half years straight out of high school in India. Mm. And so I was uh, done in five and a half years and uh, did uh, some internship and a house job and ended up in Michigan, of all places. (laughs) So then you became an FOMG, right? FOMG, that's the name. Well, that isn't that for, for, anyway. Foreign, foreign, foreign medical graduate. F, 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 FMG, FMG. Excuse me. F, FMG. FMG. Yeah. Right. I'm like OMG. Yeah. Wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> that, hold on. FMG. Oh my God. <laughs> FMG. Okay. So, foreign medical graduate is is a different animal. So, tell tell our listeners about how you got through that particular gateway. Oh, so you have to certify and you know basically go through the licensing process and pass some exams and, and stuff like that, which most people that got their education in India, doctors that were educated in India, don't really have too much trouble mm-hmm. passing those exams and showing that they are you know, meet the competencies and the requirements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's what I did. And then did a residency or a postgraduate training, as you would call it, in internal medicine mm-hmm. in Michigan. And then I practiced there for a few years mm-hmm. and was lucky enough to find my way to the Bay Area in 2002. Mm. And you're a Kaiser physician now, I understand. Uh, yeah, but they don't like us to talk about that. For, so. I, I, we didn't say it. It didn't happen. So, okay, so okay. So now let's go to how did you kind of find your way to, I mean, it, you, you're coming from a, the ancient traditions of, of uh, India, of course, which so you in your book, you speak of Vedanta and you speak of Ayurvedic and so on. So let's talk a little bit about your background in terms of your rubbing shoulders with Ayurveda and and Vedanta a little bit. So we give our listeners a little feeling for kind of how how much of that is is has actually been part of your life and how that has started to how that might possibly have had some influence in terms of the choices that you've made that that brought you to be with us today in terms of having uh, the book that that I have in my hand here. Well, it's really interesting, I, and I would say that much of what's in the book is, is my learnings through the course of life, mm-hmm. right? Much, most of it was not things that were taught in medical school or, or that I even thought of right. growing up. Right. And, and, you know, it's essentially, if you are a quote-unquote literate, educated, uh, middle-class kid growing up in India, right. you know, you're... you're whole inclination is about everything that's you know western medicine and western science and western philosophy and and mm-hmm. you sort of uh poo poo the traditional stuff right exactly no. and it's it's like much later you say oh wait a minute Maybe <laughs> you know grandma was right about this cuz i i learned all this stuff and you know yes it works sometimes but in a lot of t- situations it's it doesn't work. Mm. So, you know, what about what, you know, my, my great, great uncle used to say, maybe there's some value there. And you go back and you start, you know, reading and say, oh, my God. And I'm trying to rediscover the truth here. And, you know, it's, it's like I already knew this and then I deliberately made myself forget it. And now I have to relearn what I already knew before because that was the right thing. Oh, really? No. So, okay. So are you, are, <laughs> let me push on this a little further. Are you telling us that as a young person that you were enmeshed in some way in the Ayurvedic tradition, 
so that actually the teaching of Ayurveda, the teaching of Devanta, of course, it's, it's to some extent just in the air around you if, if you grew up where you say you did. But on the other hand, I mean, did you actually have specific teaching in your background in terms of the Ayurvedic world? or t- Not necessarily medical teaching in a, in a professional sense, but were you in an environment where Ayurvedic was, medicine was, was a common parlance, where it was being used on a regular basis, and did you observe it and have some notice of it? Most definitely, it's in, it's in it's happening around you, but right. it's something that you tend to ignore as background noise. It's right. like, oh, that stuff, you know, that right. okey stuff that doesn't really work. You know, right. I'm, I want I want to learn about the powerful the, the powerful the mechanism stuff. of action of penicillin and you know right. antibiotics and chemotherapy and this is the the, the cool powerful stuff. You right, know, right. and you ignore sort of the all the wisdom that's right under your nose and, and turn the other way until, right. you know, you come to the realization, wait a minute, all this powerful stuff isn't all that powerful, is it? Right. right? It, it works well in certain situations. If somebody's in a crisis and in a life-threatening situation, it works great. When you tell somebody, hey, I'm going to cut, I'm going to do this operation or you're, you're going to bleed to death and you better listen to me and they listen. But if you tell them the same thing and they're a smoker, they just, they have the right to get up and walk out of your office and you never see them again. Right, right. So, so that approach doesn't work. Right. Well, you you've you've the 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 journey then to to come to where you I mean what the 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 the, the physician that, you know, goes out into the world and begins to use the western medicine tools Many of them do find ex- exactly what you did. You go, mm, I thought this was going to be pretty powerful in terms of be- being on top of pretty much everything. They do find out that it's not 100% and, and not even close, and certainly not for chronic diseases, which of course is what we're writing about here in your bo- what we're writing about here in your book. So, turbo metabolism, you say, it means having a properly functioning energy delivery system, so the fuel. D- is delivered and utilized optimally, providing plenty of energy for a fueling of vibrant life. So there's, there's a lot of what your philosophy is, and right, that's that single kind of long sentence. So do you want to add to that particular? Do you want to say a little bit more about turbo metabolism? When I first looked at your book and I received it from your publicist, I went, oh, uh, one of those books where you, you know, it, it's going to be such a big hype. Uh, turbo, you know, it's a modern word having to do with machines. And well, is, is the machine, is metabolism really about machines? Well, no. I mean, unless you choose to really have a very large sort of uh, plant-based idea of what a machine is. But so say a bit more a little bit about how you got to that word and kind of how, wh- why you happened to chose coming in from that sort of side of the language, if you will. Well, I mean, there's it, it, so many layers to the question, right? And I think, and you've, you got to some of it, I mean, right. metabolism is life. Anything that's living has metabolism, right? Right. If if the moment that someone ceases to be alive, metabolism ceases to happen, and right. whatever food is in their stomach starts, instead of digesting and being converted into energy, starts decaying. And so if metabolism is life, then, you know, we want lots of life in our years, and we want to have vibrant energy to be able to do the things we want to do and go the places we want to go and have beautiful experiences and learn new things and be able to contribute in wonderful ways to the universe around us. Right. And and in my practice, I see a lot of people with, that are you know, not having that good quality of life because they're tired, they're foggy-headed, they might be overweight, they have diabetes, they have high blood pressure, they've had a heart attack, they've had stroke, they have cancers. 
and essentially you know the 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 unifying theme in all of these conditions I came to realize is impaired energy flow or impaired metabolism. What, are, and what, what? Excuse me. Let me jump in. We need need to take a break. We're listening to. We're listening. We're talking with Doctor Punka. Punkaj. Punkaj. I, I got to get the G part. Punkaj in his new book called Turbo Metabolism. We need to take a break, Punkaj, but and we'll be back with you in just a moment. Please stay tuned. The Sonoma Weather Report is brought to you by the Vintners at Vine Alley. The Vintners of Sonoma Vine Alley offer a variety of wines and experiences to allow you to relax, enjoy life, and not have to leave downtown Sonoma. Located on East Napa Street between Broadway and First Street East, the wineries include Passaggio, Fulcrum, McLaren, Westwood, Sonoma Loeb, Cahoon Galadia, Inkadoo, and Black Knight, all in one little alley. It's Thursday, the 10th of May, 2018. This is KSBY, your voice of the valley. Thank you so much for listening. Our weather outlook, we've got sunshine today, a little warm, 80 degrees to high with a west-southwest wind, 6 to 13 miles per hour. Mostly clear tonight, lots of stars in the sky with a low around 48. Very warm tomorrow, lots of sunshine on Friday with 88 degrees expected. Welcome back to Health Matters. Dr. Ned Hoke today interviewing the author of Turbo Metabolism, Punkage. And he's, it's uh, eight weeks to a new you. So you, uh, you have uh, the eight-week thing, which I guess is a, is a, is a training program. Did, tell us a little bit about you put together a training program to offer this, this teaching in, in, in that kind of a way. Is that, do I understand that correctly? Yeah, essentially, in, in with the patients that I work with in my practice, what I do is I uh, walk them through an eight-week program, and it's essentially, an, an, you can think about it as a lifestyle intensive, so mm-hmm. where we really go over each of these aspects of their lifestyle, talk about food in a big way, talk about exercise, talk about sleep and stress management and emotional resilience and social connections and eliminating toxins, all the things that I tried to roughly put in the book as chapters. Mm-hmm. And I, I walk them through each of these in a very practical way. And it, interestingly, you know, these are many of these patients are folks that have, you know, have been seeing doctors for 20, 30 years. And and invariably, they will say this is the first time that somebody explained this in this way, or I did not know that this is what's going on in my body. Mm. So it's, it's a shocking a lack of health literacy, which I think is at the core of a, a, the healthcare crisis that we're in. We're just not aware of what's going on, and nobody's teaching little kids. And we grow up with very little information about how this amazing machine that we're given really works. Mm-hmm. Well, you're cert- well, you're out to just to <laughs> to change that this is this uh, book is very uh, I don't want to say strident but it's very forthright in terms of it's you know, laying down the marker in terms of we can do better than this and and so on and so forth and you really you take on the food industry you take on the drug industry you take on our ignorance really and so um, let's talk a, a little bit more about 
what metabolic syndrome is. You talk about the belly fat part. And in Chinese, I'm a, I, I don't, you probably don't know, but I'm a Chinese medical doctor, supposedly. And that's my, what my, what's my doctor is in, and uh, I'm a practicing acupuncturist. And so, Wonderful. And, yeah, you don't, you don't sound Chinese at all. I know. I just don't. I, that didn't, it, didn't, it didn't take, you know. But you, uh, you went through an accident reduction program. I must have been it. But, uh, what, but I did go to also a little bit of Western medical school, so I'm, I went to UC Medical School some, for some time as well. So anyway, so I'm familiar with the language of Western medicine as well. But you, you hang the, the telltale sign of metabolic syndrome as belly fat. And of course, that's the current iteration, the current thought. Interestingly enough, in Chinese medicine, the 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 teaching that I have on it anyway is that it's regarded as if a, a gallbladder expression of of incomplete uh, processing, not just processing in a in a material sense, but incomplete processing on a psycho-emotional uh, thing as well. So um, so we're kind of in the same same. Uh, ballpark with probably some just different languages, but talk about this this belly fat issue and kind of build up build the case around this 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 primary telltale sign. And how how did you come to that and kind of build the, build a fact based on around, around that principle, if you would? Well, that's really interesting what you said about the you know the philosophy in Chinese medicine because that parallels very well with. The ancient Indian med- med- medicine system of Ayurveda, too, where they think about metabolic diseases as essentially diseases of uh, deficiency of the digestive fire, which mm-hmm. is called Agni. Agni is the word for fire, right. and then Agni is the root of ignite. So the word ignite comes from Agni, uh, so ignition. And so lack of Agni or lack of digestive power would lead to. Uh, incomplete or inefficient uh, consumption of fuel, right? Mm. And and essentially that is impaired metabolism. You're putting fuel, and that fuel isn't being properly utilized and transformed into energy to propel us forward. Mm-hmm. And and using the analogy of the car, if you, if your body was a car, then the car's job is to you know take you from where you from point A to point B in the fastest, safest way where the rubber meets the road, everything is working perfectly and you get to where you need to go quickly and safely. And the job of the body then is to take that fuel and convert it in such a way that you have the energy to get the experiences that you're looking for, right? Right. And so now if that process is impaired, then instead of that fuel being converted into energy, you have you don't have the energy that you want, you have a lack of energy, you're tired, you can't think right, you, you're not sleeping well, you have headaches, uh, you're, you're short of breath, you can't run, but on the other hand, you have this toxic accumulation. So that's like soot coming out of the, out of the exhaust pipe. You've got this energy, this incompletely burnt fuel that's accumulating, or a byproduct of it is accumulating in the body. And that's what you would think of as this belly fat, in that, you know, I ate this meal, why don't I feel energetic? I still feel hungry, and instead, my waistline keeps increasing, or I'm depositing this energy in places where I don't want it, like the inside lining of my arteries. I'm in, depositing it in my liver. We call that fatty liver. I'm depositing it in my pancreas, and I'm putting in all this energy where I'm, I don't want it to go. I just want to have the energy to you know, enjoy my life, and I don't need to be storing it in all these places. Mm. Well, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is, is is proving over is over and over to be a, a substantial 
uh, risk factor, as you said, for all all sorts of things. And and so you also say, as you move on to chapter two, you talk about how we're spiritual beings living in a human form. So, and and you mentioned you start out with a little discussion of the Vedanta, and Veda means knowledge, and uh, so on. Talk a little bit about the 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 spiritual beings living in a human physical form, how that's relevant to the discussion that we're talking about. Yeah, that that is the more I think about it, the more relevant it it becomes because you know this impaired metabolism or belly fat or diabetes or whatever physical ailment you, we want to describe in terms of the symptoms that the person is having are just exactly that. They're just symptoms. They're symptoms of an underlying imbalance of an underlying uh, discrepancy. And oftentimes, the root cause of that discrepancy is coming from the mind-body-spirit connection. So there's something, uh, invariably, for example, one example would be, I'm talking to someone about their morbid obesity, and somehow or another, you know, there will be some history of abuse in their childhood, or some post-traumatic stress disorder, or some unresolved conflict, or something that they can pinpoint to say, aha, that's what happened mm. when I was 22 years old, and then this problem started snowballing forward. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so until we identify that and, and really address the root cause of the problem, how are we going to fix it? Mm-hmm. So you're saying then that psychological causes and... and and also spiritual causes. Uh, that the one you just gave us was a kind of a psychological historical cause. But I'm 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 gather, I'm gonna I'm gonna expect or imagine that you're also talking about uh, fairly substantial spiritual matters as well. Can you walk into that zone a little bit for us and t- give us a sort of a sense of or a sample of what your thoughts are about? Because you do you get into the discussion of chakras here and some other things. So t- help us understand on a on a sort of spirit centered basis. How, the cause of the causative factor for uh, a metabolic syndrome, that kind of thing. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah. So in in that chapter, I tried to sort of draw some parallels, right? So the chakra system was first documented by Patanjali in in the Yoga Sutras about uh, uh, 8,000 BC, where they describe these worlds of energy, and they're essentially aligned along or described in an abstract way to be aligning along the spine. So our lowest chakras uh, identify with our most basic needs, and those basic needs are of safety and security, right? And as we go up the spine, we get into our more evolved needs or higher needs. Once our needs of safety and security are met, then we're looking at friendship and connection with others, and that's into the heart chakra. And then we get into the throat chakras, which is about about knowing our truth and speaking our truth. And then the highest needs are in the crown chakras of self-actualization. And it's really interesting that Abraham Maslow, when he described what's now known as Maslow's hierarchy, actually parallels that very well, too. So the base of the pyramid in Maslow's hierarchy is of our needs for safety and security, and you move up to the needs for connection, and then the highest needs are for self-actualization or realizing your highest potential. Mm-hmm. And the way that I think this would tie in, in this, tying in the spiritual with the physical would be that you know we all have these needs, our highest needs are of self-actualization, but at any point in that hierarchy when our needs are not met, when we feel like we are being abused or traumatized or uh, overly stressed out, we revert back to the lowest level of the needs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I.e., if 
um, I have a traumatic experience, I'm going to revert back to that need of safety and security, and perhaps I might start overeating. Right. So, so that's where I think we could we could tie in the the, the idea that perhaps our opioid epidemic or the obesity epidemic, which is nothing but another way of looking at food addiction, is due to unmet spiritual needs. So, mm-hmm. our, so you, you can't have enough of what you don't need, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to keep eating cheeseburgers, and you'll never be satisfied because your need wasn't for cheeseburgers in the first place. Right, right. So you next chapter is in the, the nuts and bolts of getting started. And I do want to give our listeners a chance to ask a question. I'm assuming you would take a question from our audience. Is that true? I would love to. Okay. Well, audience then, our call-in number is 707-933-9133 for the author of Tur- Turbo Metabolism. Uh, so uh, there's, the, there's the nuts and bolts of getting started. Uh, say a word or two about that, if you would. The nuts and bolts of getting started are just, uh, you know, sort of getting the baseline, uh, perhaps getting the baseline blood work if you haven't had that. Check with your doctor. Always check with your doctor whenever you're looking to start something new, and hopefully they're knowledgeable and supportive and that they're going to help guide you in the right direction. So talk to your doctor, get the blood work, and then look in your kitchen pantry and your refrigerator and, and see what's there. And we have lists there. We have a list of trash, the things that belong in the trash can you want to pull out of the pantry in the kitchen (laughs) and put them in the trash. And what that'll do is it'll create some space in your kitchen pantry, in your refrigerator. So for that, you want to look at the shopping list and go grocery shopping Mm -hmm. and fill up your space, right? Create the right physical environment. So you're filling up that physical environment with the foods that you do want to be eating. Mm -hmm. And that's mostly going to be coming from the produce section of the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Now you 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 get as you go into chapter four optimal nutrition uh, for optimal health. You're quite again strongly uh, oriented to a very high level of excellence in terms of nutritional choices. Can you give us a little bit of background yourself, either your personal self or your professional experience, talking about the difference between sort of being kind of leaning to the good versus the optimal kind of frame that you put a lot of what this book is about. A lot of this book, at least as I read it, is, is, is leaning to a, a very strong urge to optimization. So he- help us discriminate a little bit or give us some guidance anyway about there's there a lot of us just sort of lean, try to lean in the right direction, and yet we still do a lot of the things that we're not supposed to do by a, by standard rules, if you will. But then, but then there's really high-level excellence. So Help us with that. Help us with that conversation between the really strong connection to the very, very righteous uh, behaviors and then the s- somewhat more of the middle way, let's say. And, well, and, and, know, and what the clinical significance of both are. Right. So without being, you know, overly perfectionistic, right? I uh-huh. mean, on the, on the one hand, I think we should be practical and we need to forgive ourselves for you know whatever we consider to be you know falling off the wagon once in a while if that's what you want to call it mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time we want to keep in mind that the goal here is to be the best version of myself right mm-hmm. okay. and and I can be good enough I can be so so I can get by or you know what if I could feel like this you know what if I could feel 
I had a hundred percent charge on my battery every day. Right. What, what what would that feel like? At least I want to know. Right. Right. And and I would argue that. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. And you sell that very vigorously. You 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 <laughs> you've gotten me very convinced that that I want to have the experience of the very very highest level of, the, of my potential life. And you're very uh, inspiring about that. You're you're really saying that. We really can reach out at life in these ways that you're describing in this book, and we can make a tremendous change in terms of how we feel, in terms of how, how long our lives last, how, how much disease and, and, con- and conflict we're likely to en- encounter with a de- in, in, in health, health and wellness kind of ways. So you're, you're really positing a very, very positive potential. Absolutely. So, because so I think we we accept so many things as saying, "Oh, okay, I'm just getting old, right? I'm right. I'm 55. That's probably why I'm tired, and right. that's probably why I, I can't, you know, get restful sleep, and right. you know, I've, I've got erectile dysfunction now. Oh, that's normal. And and you're not you're not going for you're not going for any of that. <laughs> well, you know, if there's a choice in the matter, then I'm gonna I'm gonna make darn sure that I'm right. doing what I can. Right. To opt, have the best possible life that I that that is available to me, mm-hmm. and I would argue that food choices uh, are probably the most profound way in which I can influence that. Because, face it, other than breathing air and drinking water, you know, the food that we eat is the the third most profound way in which we communicate with the environment, and we can bring on signals of health and wellness with the food choices that we make. Uh, or we can turn on signals of disease and disability and and ailments. And and it's and like I say, there's no equivocation in the way the way you make that point. And I really celebrate it. And and I should say to our listeners is that when I when I far, when I started to really get into this book some, I realized that in a way this was almost like a manual that I'd been looking for myself for for myself back at the time when I was just starting out trying to understand what the heck, what kind of trouble I was in in terms of my own fat in my middle section, but way, way more than that in terms of all kinds of other things that were going on in my life that I don't need to bore my audience with, but that are very much of the metabolic syndrome type. And so you, and so then as I went to medical, I, went, I spent the last 35, almost 40 years in, in the world of medicine learning what you have synopsed in synopsis form that you've given us in this book. So in a sense, you've provided, if, if had I had this book 35, 40 years ago and, and, and paid attention to it, I might be a very different person today. But So I just wanted to put that out there and say that. But now I also want to move on to Chapter 5 because it's a very important chapter in terms of water. Talk about water and kind of why water matters so much. Water matters a lot, right? Water is the medium in which all biochemical reactions in every living being are happening. And even on other planets, when we're looking for life on Mars, what do we look for? We say, hmm, there might be some water on Mars, therefore right. there may be some life on this planet. Right. And, you know, it's more than, there's a reason why more than two-thirds of your body weight is actually water. And interestingly, two-thirds of the Earth is water as well. So. Right. Look at, look at the parallels between us living on the Earth and the planet itself. Uh, even tissues that we think are really dry, like we say, oh, dry as a bone. Well, even your bones have a significant amount of water in them. Right. And, and, and the reason why I think it's important for met- metabolism and food and um, weight conscious people is that we often mistake thirst for hunger. Mm-hmm. We're walking around in a state of dehydration and we don't even know it. And instead of drinking water, 
we're grabbing, we think we're hungry and we're, we're eating food that we perhaps don't need to be eating because we're just dehydrated. We wake up dehydrated in the morning because of all the insensible water losses in our sleep from breath and sweating and, 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 and all the metabolic reactions going on in the body. And instead of trying to catch up with that deficit, we start drinking coffee, which makes us even more dehydrated because it makes you go to the bathroom. And the cycle just continues. And this is big stuff. This isn't this isn't small stuff. This is big stuff that it you're ta- that you're talking about there in terms of the the, the consequence in terms of well being. We're uh, talking to the author of uh, Turbo Metabolism. We need to take another break. We'll be back with you in just a moment. Please stay with us. Programming for KSVY is brought to you in part by the Tina Schoen Group, located at Sotheby's International Realty, Body Best Collision Center and Sonoma Hills Retirement Community. This health moment is brought to you in part by Sonoma Valley Hospital. It's not uncommon to develop aches and pains as we age. When the pain isn't acute, we often choose to live with it, which is not always the best idea. Most will go away naturally after a period of time, but some pains can become chronic if untreated. If you are experiencing persistent aches or pains, it's a good idea to have them checked by your physician. Uh, welcome back to Dr. Neto, uh, joined by Dr. Pankaj. 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 I'll maybe get it someday. Pankaj. So now, so we've got this whole plan for sort of restorative health. Let's Let's start to talk about couple of specific diseases and talk about kind of the things that you find in your everyday practice in terms of how you help people begin. Now, you obviously, you have a chapter on that, so it, it, I'm not looking to just read the chapter, but I'm saying give us an example of a, of a, of a, of a client, obviously without their name, but um, uh, give us an example, sort of a storyline, and then t- walk us through a little bit of what sort of changes they made that you observed and what the consequences of those changes. So, so our, our, li- our leaders are like that. Our listeners can have a little feeling for the opportunity that we're talking about here because it's one thing to have a lot of nice theories and to have a lot of you know, rules of the road, so to speak, but let's talk about people actually getting better. Oh, my God, I've got so many stories, so many stories. And, and, and as you know, Ned, probably from your practice, too, that's what you know, gets you, keeps you going. You said you've been practiced for over 30 years, and right. it's those stories of people that have done well and improved their lives, and that's who I dedicated the book to as well. Sure. Uh, but a couple come to mind. One, one was um, uh, this gentleman that had been diabetic for 10 years, and despite being on many different diets and, and and he would join, you know, this exercise class and that exercise class and jumping on every fad that he could. He wasn't really getting anywhere. And we had to have the dreaded insulin discussion. That, and I said, hey, you're, we're not getting anywhere. You're going to need to get on these shots. Mm. Or there's this other way, and you're really going to need to make some changes to your lifestyle. Mm. And he was so afraid of needles that, that he agreed. <laughs> really? And, really? And, uh, and so over the course of the next eight weeks, I really, you know, helped him understand the nuts and bolts of what was causing his insulin resistance, and we need to get rid of his belly fat, and we got him onto a nutrient-dense, plant-rich diet. He started lifting weights. He really he had to change his job because he was commuting, and he wasn't getting enough sleep. He was stressed all the time. So significant changes. This is a commitment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the eight weeks, at the end of the eight weeks, he had lost close to 20 pounds. Wow. And his 
waist circumference, more than the 20 pounds, his waist circumference was down by six inches. Wow. And he, was, he had gone from a 38 to a 32 pant size. Wow. And, and later that summer, two months later, actually, he did a climb to Mount Whitney, which is something that he never could have imagined. Mm. And so it wasn't that much weight, but it was that it was, there was a significant difference in how well he was able to perform. And, and uh, people around him, his wife, who was not even diabetic, was so impressed that she wanted to you know, jump on the same program as, as he was. And mm-hmm. so people mm-hmm. will come ask you, instead of you're trying to you know, proselytize, people will come to you when they see your results. Mm-hmm. And, and what he said to me when I saw him the next time after the Mount Whitney trip really touched my heart. And he said that he had lost his father six years prior because of diabetes complications. And he mm-hmm. said, oh, my God, if I... If I knew what I know now, my dad might have been still alive. Mm-hmm. And I said, mm-hmm. oh, my God, that, that is so true. That really touched my heart. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but there's so many stories like that. And that's, that's what it's all about. It's about making an impact, about doing something that matters, that you can make somebody's life better and give them you know, a little more years in their life, but more importantly, a few, little more life in their years. Mm-hmm. And that's... And that, that's so that's a good line, that life that. in their years. I like that. So you're, you're coming back to the water issue because you, you make a, a, very good, a lot of very good points about the water issue. So you're talking about uh, the daily water requirements and, and so on. Uh, give us sort of a synopsis of, the, of what the, you know, that's about in terms of we, we, we've talked about why it's important, but, but we, so we haven't talked so much about quantity. And the other thing is that the, you, you mentioned about drinking quality water and not junk water. Talk about what that is as well. So our listeners can see the difference. Yeah. So the the quantity part is easy, right? And I tell people, as a rule of thumb, half your body weight in ounces, right? So if you weigh 200 pounds, your goal is about 100 ounces of water. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty simple. If you weigh 300 right. pounds, your goal should be 150 ounces of water. Right. So that's about three to four liters, and and I can guarantee you that the majority of people listening aren't meeting that need because right. the majority of people that I see every day aren't meeting that need. Mm-hmm. And and using water as your primary beverage, so get away from, you know, soda, especially diet soda. It's probably worse than regular. You know, I'm not a big fan of dairy either, and we can maybe have another show to just to discuss that. Uh, mm-hmm. But using, using water as your primary beverage, not soda, milk, definitely not alcohol. Mm-hmm. Alcohol, I think, is carcinogenic and mm-hmm. is an endocrine disruptor and does so much harm to your body. Mm. Um, and then looking at the quality water, quality water would be clean water. And for the most part, you know, in the United States, we're lucky in that municipal water is very well tested. Unless you live in Flint, Michigan, you're probably okay. <laughs> right. Right. And But we're sold all these so-called, you know, smart enhanced waters in plastic bottles that actually are not regulated the same way that municipal water is. Mm-hmm. So you might be thinking that you're doing yourself a favor and and uh, enhancing your health by buying expensive water in plastic bottles, but in fact, your tap water might be better. Mm-hmm. If you have any concerns, you can get a filter and uh, you know filter out extra minerals or impurities that might be there, but for the most part, we are very, very lucky in that we do have quality water. Mm-hmm. So get away from alcohol, get away from dairy, get away from soda, including diet soda. Coffee, I'm okay with. Really? I love the smell of coffee, but first, <laughs> first hydrate. So have a big glass of water. Uh-huh. You know, maybe have a liter of water in the morning when you wake up first so that you catch up. You start catching up with that deficit, and then by all means, you can enjoy a nice cup of delicious 
aromatic coffee. You're right. I, I, I'm glad to hear you say that because, of course, so many of my clients, they are tormented by that. They, they love their coffee, but, they, but, they, but what they don't do is they don't take the other side of it in terms of recognizing the dehydration potential and also that it's the, the timing of it, exactly as you say. The, the, we, right. wake, we wake up de dehydrated and, and then we stay dehydrated you know, and we magnify that dehydration, which then creates a, ten a tendency to want to eat too much or do all kinds of other things. But now you moving on to from that, you, you talk about you know, the issue of exercise and rest. I don't want to miss the opportunity to have you lecture us a little bit about your sense of rest and sleep so we can because that's those are two such big pieces that are also elemental to your to your program here so say a little bit about both if you would that, i think that's that's the key elements right there even though we said food is important and right. water is important exercise is important right uh exercise is is especially resistance exercise is your best friend in terms of activating the metabolism mm-hmm but if you're not sleeping and you're not resting and you're stressed out all the time, you know, all of these other things go right out the window, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you need that emotional resilience. You need the wherewithal to be making the right choices. And, and, to, and the only way that you're going to get that is if you're well rested and you have a good handle on your emotional state. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think stress management comes in. That's, where, that's why I started off the book with a holistic approach talking about uh, spirituality and uh, mind-body-spirit connection and the chakras and pranayama and yoga because I think that's, that's really where people fall apart and that is the reason why we have addictions. So, you know, that's the reason why in spite of knowing, having the knowledge, we don't make, aren't able to make the right choice. It's because mm -hmm. of emotional imbalance. Mm -hmm. So working on emotional health comes first. And that, so that's the third leg of the stool, really. Is food is one, exercise is the second. But those two legs can't stand on their own until you have the emotional resilience leg in, of the three-legged stool in place. And your, your tradition, in, in at least the Hindu tradition that I'm familiar with, in terms of the Vedanta as well as other teachings of uh, Ramakrishna or uh, others, who who are they? They they're and it, it, as I read the Indian teachers, there's a strong, very vigorous uh, intention toward the business of mind management in terms of really being, you know, thorough about that and and so on and so forth. So when I read what you write about that, I, I get the, I, I'm reminded of of the other Indian background of how powerful this issue of the mind is, and of course having to do with the, the, the issue of so much of our stress really is just coming out of our, our mind, really, and, and our mind is troubled. And one of the things you talk about also, you talk about how, how uh, significant the environmental toxins are. So let's, let's get close to it. We're close to the end here, but let's, let's take a little bit of time to talk about and, uh, the consequences of, of uh, environmental toxins and how significant you feel that actually is in terms of the health picture that we're living with. Oh, it is very, very significant. We have a whole chapter about environmental toxins, and uh, essentially we're talking about things that can be endocrine disruptors. So, off, so these toxins are things that are in the environment. They're either intentionally sprayed on our food to kill pests, right? So we have pesticides, we have insecticides, we have these NPK fertilizers, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium-based fertilizers, which is essentially junk food for the soil, right? So we, our food is now being raised on junk food 
as well. And then whatever is being put into the food is obviously becoming part of us. So you, not only do you become what you eat, but you also become what you eat ate. Right. <laughs> right. So, and and the higher we eat up the food chain, the more bioconcentrated these environmental toxins are. So the smaller fish are eaten by the bigger fish. The bigger fish are eaten by the biggest fish. So the biggest fish are the sharks, the albacore tunas, you know, the mackerel. The big fish are the ones that the mercury is going to be the highest concentrated in. Right. And so the lower we can food, eat on the food chain, mm-hmm. and the more we can eat plant-based the less likely we are to be concentrating these uh, bioaccumulatable toxins, except in the plant world where, where crops are sprayed with synthetic pesticides. Again, these are poisons. They're, their whole goal is to kill things, right? And so we're ingesting these toxins into our body, and they act as endocrine disruptors. So they kill things by either making the bugs infertile so they can't reproduce, or they are neurotoxins, so they interfere with the way their nervous system works and they get paralyzed and they die. Or, for example, in rat poison, it, basically the rats will bleed to death, right? Wow. So, so now we're taking in something that was sprayed, and admittedly it's in a small quantity, right? It's a, you need a smaller quantity to kill an insect than you do, do to kill a human. But if you ingest enough of it and it's in everything, it will add up. So those toxic exposures from the food will add up over time and we need to be very very aware of what we're putting in our body that's one two would be uh household products cosmetics uh things that we put on our skin or our hair those get absorbed too your skin is an absorptive surface and soaps shampoos lotions conditioners makeup it all does get absorbed into the body so we need to be aware of those exposures as well. Mm-hmm. We, I've put in some lists there for the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15, and those are from ewg.org, which is actually, I think it's a Marin-based uh, mm-hmm. group that's done really amazing work, and they put out this list once a year mm-hmm. in terms of pesticide load, and I have a lot of respect for mm-hmm. for the wonderful work that they have done. Mm-hmm. And well, I you, have all those resources in the book. Well, you you do actually, and the book is filled with those resources, and you and you and you don't let us off t- anywhere. You 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 hold us responsible the whole time, and then you you end this close to the end. You taught you got your ten commandments for optimal wellness, and uh, those are kind of fun. I I don't have time to read them all, but the the book is just chock full of of good advice and very sturdy advice, and the advice that's very modern, actually, as I'm sure you know that. Much of what you write about the the sort of social organization around the thinking that you present is is the accumulation of, of really obviously like anything it's thousands of years but you're very modern in your approach and you're giving us the sort of the current data on on many important topics so it's been a real pleasure to have you with us today and I do urge all of our listeners to get go out and get a copy of Turbo Metabolism and and even if the name maybe doesn't doesn't catch your attention. I'm hoping the inside will. So thank you for taking the time for us today. It's been a pleasure, Dr. Hogue. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, there it is. It is a good book. As you know, I, I, I often like the books that I, I present, and this is uh, close to the top of the list. And it's so uh, meaningful for me as well, personally, because there's many of these things that I know, and I know and I tell my patients about them all the time, 
And of course, I'm not as good about them as I might be. And so I was glad to be reminded of many of the things. And he he makes it so clear. He, he's written, he writes very, very clearly. And so that you're, there's just no question in your mind what he's trying to say. And so, um, and I, like I say, he, the other thing is, is that as a uh, child of the Indian, Indian uh, uh, subcontinent, um, as he said, he's uh, cheek by jowl with the ancient traditions of the of the ancient teachings of the Orveda, which is all about uh, a very positive effort to look at life in a as a, in a procreative, positive way, and so that's what comes out in this book. And I'm happy that I was able to share it with you. So uh, it's pretty close to time to get out of here. So. If you cannot pacify your spirit and you let your mind be, be complicated with desires and worries, your disease will not be cured. To be healthy, you must avoid anger and worry, but keep your mind happy, your heart at ease, and your desires at low levels. That's the basic guidance of the Yellow Emperor's classic of internal medicine. This is Dr. Ned Hoke. Happy to have shared this hour with you, and our Health Matters motto still is, health care is not a noun, it's a verb. Until next week, I'll see you then. Farewell. Farewell.